wonder if you'll go for a few moments to Matthew, uh, sorry, to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. I'm going to read five or six verses, and then uh, we're going to share on the Word this morning. I'm conscious that time is moving on, but um, just want to share uh, a little uh, something this morning that God will just minister into our hearts in Jesus' name. John, chapter 14. And verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. That's not the message this morning. Suffice to say that uh, I would have saved myself a, a lot of time over the years as a Christian minister if, with respect, people did just that. That when we realize that we, when we have fallen in love with Jesus or say that we have, he's then given us his directive, which is the word of God, and an expression of that love is that we implement what he's taught us to do. It will always be for our good. Verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I love you, sorry, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. You'll know that if you come to Arena Church on a regular basis, that, that Sunday ministry is prayerfully thought about, prepared, and uh, very often we find ourselves in seasons of series. Sometimes they may be just four or five weeks and sometimes a little longer. Very intentional about that in terms of trying to give some sense of real directive to what God is speaking into the church at a particular time. We want it to be practical. We also, in the right sense of the word, want it to be prophetic. We want God to speak into what God is saying to the life of the church. And just recently, we've just done that little series simply called Big. It led us to the big idea last weekend, an amazing expression of love and service to our community. Well over 100 people from the life of this church involved in some practical expression of ministry during Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of last week. And we culminated last Saturday, Sunday afternoon with a great open-air service declaring the praises of God um, on, the, on the Cotman Air estate. And it was just wonderful to, to see all that God was doing. I believe and we believe that many things will roll out of that uh, in the days ahead that will speak into people's hearts and lives. We didn't do it, friends, to get people saved. We did it because we can we didn't do it with an ulterior motive. We did it because God loves people and we'll leave that with God. But a big God drawing us to a big response and God doing fantastic things. And again, thank you for everybody that gave themselves so willingly uh, to that weekend. And we really do give God praise and thanks. Next week, we're just going to launch off again with something that will just lead us into these early summer weeks. But today really just sits on its own. And I just asking the Lord this week for just a sense of what he wanted to say. It was simply this, that this morning we just speak again a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad that we can talk about the Holy Spirit because as I read the Gospels, I find that Jesus 
on many occasions talked about the Holy Spirit. And here we find in John's Gospel, chapter 14, that Jesus is speaking about the Spirit of God. Bible theologians over the years have compared what he said, for instance, in Luke with what he says in John. And they've seen that Jesus has sort of come at things a little bit different. And the theology of the Spirit in John is quite different to the other Gospels. But the reality is, friends, that Jesus, particularly in his ministry to the disciples, on many occasions drew them to the need of the power and life of the Holy Spirit. He spoke about it, and for a few moments this morning, if you'll permit me, I'm going to speak about it, that it might impact every one of our lives. The heritage, the background, the ethos, the culture, the tradition, the present of this type of church is that we believe, friends, in the life and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want that defined in a particular way, but we want, friends, the life of the Spirit to wash over us in all sorts of different ways for the glory of God and for the praise of His name. And in the church calendar, we find that this particular time of year brings some attention to the activity and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We celebrated Easter. Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. And 40 days after Easter, the Christian church worldwide celebrates what we call ascension. It often passes us by, but there are traditions and strands of the church that would take that day very seriously. It reminds them of Acts chapter 1, verse 9, when Jesus, having spoken to the disciples about being filled with the Spirit, was then taken back physically, the physical Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, was taken back to be at the Father's right hand, a place of blessing and authority. And that day is 40 days after Easter. It always falls on a Thursday. And interestingly, just last Thursday, June the 2nd, was Ascension Day. The reason I know that is because there was a time when I was coming back from Romania, having done a, a lorry trip, taking some uh, humanitarian aid out of there with, with Roy's brother Bob, and who, who you know well in the life of the church, and, and another brother. And we were in southeast Germany on the autobahn when the lorry broke down. And um, we eventually called a, mecha- a mechanic out. It was late on the Wednesday evening, and uh, in very, very, very broken English, he says, Pumper, pumper which I think meant that the pump, whatever that was, uh, wasn't working. And so they took us to a garage uh, on the edge of a a nice little cathedral city called Regensburg, and it was explained to us that in Germany, Ascension Day, the following day, was a public bank holiday. So guys, you were going to get nothing done on this wagon until Friday. And uh, so we sort of had to sort of, really lose about 36 hours. Fortunately, Regensburg, if you ever get a chance to be down in that part of Germany, is a really nice place to visit. And uh, the frustration was that we just had to, to wait, and it was repaired, and away we came. Easter, Ascension, Pentecost. Ten days after the Ascension is Pentecost. Now, those of you that are of a particular age, including me, would remember Whit Sunday. We were talking about Whit Sunday, Whit Weekend. It's got lost a little bit now because we have spring bank holiday. And it seemed as though this year, particularly with Easter being so late, all the bank holidays seem to merge into one. But next Sunday is what the Christian church would define as Pentecost Sunday. It's the particular recognition of the Holy Spirit being poured out onto the church. It's Whit Weekend. And the reality is, friends, that 
in, in all of that getting lost in terms of where we live and how things work, we need as the Christian church never to put the Holy Spirit on the edge of our lives or on the edge of all that we do. The Bible tells us in Acts 2.33 that the very sign that the Holy Spirit is poured out into the earth is actually confirming that Jesus, if I can put it this way, arrived back in heaven, mission accomplished. And when Jesus cried on the cross that it was finished, he really meant it. There was no one else that could pay the price of sin. There was no one else that could stand in the place for us. He was the one that did it. He came, he lived a perfect life, he died on a cross, he rose the third day. He showed himself alive to disciples by many convincing proofs. He ascended back to the Father and the sign that all of those things took place is what we have today in the 21st century that the Holy Spirit is still working in the church, in our lives and in the world for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. Jesus said to the disciples just before Pentecost at the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 49, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Friends, if they needed power from on high, Arena Church needs power from on high. If they needed the Holy Spirit to help them, Arena Church needs the Holy Spirit to help them. And there have been times during the 2,000 year plus history of the church where sadly the Holy Spirit has very often been pushed to one side. It's been marginalized. It's been almost said at times, certainly if not by word, but certainly by practice, that we'll just get on with church because we don't need the Holy Spirit coming and upsetting things. We don't need the Holy Spirit to disturb things. We've got everything in place. But the reality is, friends, we need him. We can't push him to the margins of our life or the margins of the church. Not only that, but sometimes the Holy Spirit's been trivialized. We've reduced him, friends, to something that he was never intended to be. And if I can say carefully this morning, sadly on occasions, the Holy Spirit's been scandalized. You see, we're here this morning in a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in a church this morning that can speak freely about these things. But the reality was, it wasn't always like that. And around about 100 years ago, starting in a little church in Los Angeles in Azusa Street, there came an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It began, friends, to spread across the world like wildfire, lighting beacons to the power of the Holy Spirit. You may say, whoa, that was good. Well, it was good. And the reality is today, friends, that around the world, there are tens of hundreds of millions of believers that have entered into the experience of not only finding Jesus as their Savior, but the fullness and blessing of the Holy Spirit, which is fantastic. The growing element of the Christian church globally, friends, in, in, in most cases is the, is the element of the church that throws its dependency upon the Holy Spirit. But here's the truth. Our forebearers had to pay an amazing cost for us to enjoy what we are experiencing today. Imagine, friends, just because you spoke in tongues that somebody said you were possessed by a demon. Imagine being in a church for 20 or 30 years and being frog-marched to the door and said, you're not welcome 
any, here anymore because we've heard that you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why a lot of churches started. They started out of persecution. They started out of believers finding one another in this outpouring of the Spirit. And here's the truth. Every great move of God in the history of time is always at a great cost. And people, in terms of literature that they wrote, books, newspapers, etc., sought to scandalize the Spirit, sought to reduce it as the religious people of Jesus' day did to something that was of the powers of darkness. And it was shocking. Thank God, friends, that today we build our lives. We don't live there. We don't live in the past. We're not a people that dwell in the past. But we can be a pilgrim people here at Arena Church. We can enjoy all the blessings of the outpouring of the Spirit because our forebearers paid an incredible cost to enter into what God was doing in their day. And we should never, ever forget that. Now, here's three negatives that sometimes show themselves up with regard to the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Number one, falsehood. Every religious cult gets it wrong about the Holy Spirit. I don't care how plausible they look. I don't care how nicely they dress. I don't care how gracious they are to you on the high street in Ilkeston or Eastwood, wherever you meet them. You dig a little bit deeper and you will find that they have got it wrong on the Holy Spirit. Here's the truth. Every religious cult has got it wrong about Jesus. And the Bible tells me in 2 John that if we've got it wrong about Jesus, we've got it wrong about everything. And we shouldn't be surprised, friends, that if people get it wrong about the Holy Spirit, they get it wrong about Jesus because the work of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus and cause him to be exalted in our lives. Here's how people describe the Holy Spirit. They describe him as a thing. They describe him as an influence. They describe him as a force. Describe him as an energy. Sounds a bit new agey to me, that. We're not into any of that. No, friends, the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is a person. And you need to realize that you cannot define and limit the person of the Holy Spirit simply to a human body. I've had people knock on my door and deny the fact that the Holy Spirit's a person. And I've said to them, look, if I kick the door, there's nothing going to happen. You know, the door's not going to come back to me and say, ooh, that hurt. But if I kick you, you're going to get offended by that. Because there's something about our humanity that recoils to that sort of behavior. Here's what we can do to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can grieve him. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. You can grieve the Holy Spirit in all sorts of ways. You can grieve the Holy Spirit simply by saying no when he said yes. Because it's called disobedience. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 10 that we can vex or make the Holy Spirit angry. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19 that we can quench or dampen the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, God is bringing us to a place, and we'll see it as we go through the rest of the ministry, God is bringing us to a place of a personal living relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And anybody that tells you different, with the greatest respect, not on my authority, but the authority of the word, is in error. Number two, fear. I've had people say to me, well, you see, I've had bad experiences with the Holy Spirit. No, you haven't. 
What you've had is bad experiences with people that have carnally expressed the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where you've had the bad experience. Guess what? I've had them as well. And here's the truth today, friends. Are you going to allow those bad experiences to stop you pressing into all that God has got for your life? Or are you going to allow it to be a place that brings you to fear? Because not only falsehood, but fear. I don't really want to give myself away to the Holy Spirit because I've had bad experiences. No, you haven't. The Holy Spirit, friends, is the gentle dove. The Holy Spirit is the fire of God. The Holy Spirit is the water that pours into our life. The Holy Spirit is the oil that anoints our life. Every time we engage with the Holy Spirit, it will do us good every time. And I want to encourage you today, friends, to press into all that God has got for you. I've come across people that are in fear of the Holy Spirit, not because of no teaching, but because of poor teaching. And let me tell you, that poor teaching is far more difficult to deal with than no teaching. If there's no teaching, like when Jesus, when Paul went to Ephesus and they said, we've not even heard about the Holy Spirit, it was a vacuum. Acts 19, he was able to fill it. But I've had battle royals with people that said, that's not what I was taught about the Holy Spirit when I became a Christian. Well, you might have been taught wrong. And the Holy Spirit saying to you, you need to change Because that is inhibiting you from entering into what God has got for you. That's far more difficult to deal with than no teaching. Because poor teaching is going to address your pride. And that means that you've got to admit, like I've had to admit at times, that I've got it wrong. And that God is saying something different from what I perceive that he says. You need to be careful today, friends, and I do, that we don't allow fear to inhibit our relationship with the Lord. Because Romans chapter 8 says these words, those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. We've sung it in worship this morning. But you received the Spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is continually wanting to do in your life is not for you to live in fear that pushes you away from God, but to so come to your life that it draws you to God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and His Spirit testifies with us that we are the children of God. And that's an incredibly secure place to be. Little wonder that the enemy of our souls fights for it tooth and nail. But brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian this morning, you're a son and daughter of God. You're blessed of the Lord. And one of the works of the Spirit of God in you is to continually confirm that to you so that you can come to a place where you can cry out, he's my dad and I know it of a truth. The third thing is forgetfulness. The Bible says that we can have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. In other words, we push God to the periphery, to the edge of our life. And God doesn't want us to do that. See, the Holy Spirit comes to change us. He comes to shape us. He comes to convict us. He comes to help us. He comes to teach us. He comes to lead us. He comes to enable us. And so we could go on. We need him at the very center of our being every day of our lives. Jesus talking to the disciples was really beginning to open up to them their need to allow the Spirit of God to touch them in an amazing way. You see, friends, the, holy, the, the disciples were, uh, 
They were getting nervous. Let's put it that way. They were jidding. They're saying, Jesus keeps talking about going away. They weren't even sure where he was going. And if he goes away, what's going to happen to us? Because we've come to understand that we need this guy in our lives. And if he's not going to be here, what's going to happen to us? And Jesus got it. And here he is teaching in John 14. He's saying, guys, I'm going to go away. But when I go away, the comforter is going to come to you. And what the comforter is going to come to you, he is going to make me as real to you when I've gone as if I was sitting where Andy is sitting now physically. In other words, friends, the Spirit of God in us is continually at work to make Jesus as real to us as if we knew his physical presence. Now, for Christians that have been born 2,000 years after Jesus lived on the earth, that ought to encourage us. Because none of us, not even me, has been old enough to be around, friends, when Jesus lived on the earth. In other words, none of us have known the physical presence of Jesus in the earth. And yet, here we are today, right across Arena Church, several hundred people saying, we love Jesus Christ. How's that happened? It's happened by the power of the Spirit. You may not be a Christian today. And uh, you may say, I'm not even convinced if I want to be one. But something's happening in you. And here's the truth. None of us can come to Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he works with us to bring us to a place of coming to Jesus. Now, hear me, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say next. But we love people at Arena Church to enjoy church. If you're here for the first time, we want you to feel welcome, we want you to feel blessed, we want to feel ministered to, but we don't want you to enjoy it too much. Because the truth is that if you're outside of Jesus today, you need to make a decision. You need to ask for change to come to your life because you're lost. And we're passionate about lost people. And the person that begins to stir something up in you is the Holy Spirit. How many times have you heard the story? I went to church with my friend and it was just like the preacher was speaking to me. You ever thought about that? God puts a meeting on for 250 folks and he only wants to speak to one person. It was just as if the Holy Spirit was speaking. That's conviction. And the Bible says in John chapter 16, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit again, that he has come to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment to come. How did you come to Jesus You came to Jesus when you realized that you couldn't get to God in your own strength. You couldn't be forgiven by your own efforts. And you couldn't live this life on your own. Who told you all that? The Holy Spirit told you. He may have used the preacher. He may have used your friend at work. He may have used that pal that you uh, uh, connect with socially. But it was the Spirit of God that was at work in you, showing you all of those things to bring you to Jesus. And we give praise and thanks to God. And if God's doing that in you today, friends, if there's something that stirs in you, you can't define it, you've not got any Bible words for it, you've no religious language, but you know there's something stirring in you that cries out to God, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And friends, it doesn't stop at conversion, but the Spirit of God continues to speak to us again and again and again and again and again. And when the Spirit of God has laid a marker into our lives, He's not going to change. 
I've had the Spirit of God speaking to my life many times on a Tuesday. And on Wednesday, I prayed to God and thought God had forgotten about what he said on Tuesday and we were just going to carry on as normal. And inevitably, the Spirit of God brings me back to what he said on Tuesday and says, so what are you going to do about that? It may be the repairing of a relationship. It may be me swallowing my pride and saying, I'm sorry to somebody, I got it wrong. It may be me being more sensitive in a particular situation. It may be me responding to the word of God that's come to me with fresh light and I need to implement it in a renewed way. Whatever it is, the work of the Spirit of God in us is amazing. And as I draw the message to a conclusion this morning, I'm just going to bullet point five things that Jesus said about the Spirit of God as we draw to a close. Number one, he said, I'll give you another counselor. And in some translations, it'll have the word comforter there, and it may even be other words. Parakletos, it literally means that I will give you one who comes alongside. Jesus says, I'm not going to be with you physically for much longer, but there is one that is going to be given to you that draws alongside, that makes me real. It's the Holy Spirit. Number two, he said, I will be with you forever. Verse verse 16 of John 14. This is no quick fix from the Holy Spirit. But it's an ongoing, enduring commitment to our lives that he will see us through everything. Number three, it's the spirit of truth, verse 17. And as I've already alluded to, you can be certain that where there are lies and error and deception, that is not a work of the spirit. I've had people say to me, God's told me to do this. That is completely contrary, friends, to the enduring eternal principles of the word of God. Guess what? God's not told you. you. You can stamp your feet, you can argue, you can claim that it was red letters in the sky. God's not told you. God the Holy Spirit will never tell you anything that contradicts the enduring principles of the Scriptures. He's the Spirit of truth. And He leads us in all truth. Number four, He will be in you. He will be in you. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. I've heard Christians say, well, it doesn't really sort of matter how you live in your body, does it? It's all spiritual. I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure that the Bible teaches that, friends. I think we need to be careful how we live. We don't want to get fanatical about the sort of the care of our body. But the reality is this body houses the Holy Spirit. And I see people doing all sorts of things to their bodies today. And for me, all it's expressing is a void. They're piercing them, they're painting them. It's called tattoos. I've never seen so many tattoos in all my life as what I see nowadays. And boy, this hot weather brought it all out. And in all those sorts of things, you know, but people are doing all sorts of things to the body to fill a void. And that void can only be filled by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22, with a sense of corporateness, of coming together because it's speaking of the church that we become a dwelling of God in which he lives by his spirit. You see, people try to visit religious shrines. They go to special places. They go to ornate buildings. They go to religious edifice. They walk into arena church and say, this isn't a proper church. Well, what is a proper church, friends? I'll tell you what a proper church is. A proper church is when a community of people come together. It could be 10, 12, could be thousands. But a proper church is where the spirit of God comes amongst those people and makes that place a habitation of God by his spirit. It may be under the stars. It may be under
under an open sky. It may be in a wooden hut. It may be in something so incredibly basic that we'd all say that's not a proper church. But it is a proper church because God, by his spirit, is there. And so often people substitute the real for the religious. Substitute what God wants to give them for something that they think is what it will be given to them. R.T. Kendall, a great preacher, says, Jesus, promising to be in the disciples, was saying that he would be as real within by his spirit, the disciples, as he had been real to the disciples outside of them. The final thing is that Jesus said in chapter 15 and verse 26 that the Holy Spirit would testify of me. He would testify of me. How does he do that? He does it through the church. He does it through the church. Friends, one of the major missions of church in these days is to exalt Jesus, to speak of Jesus. The Bible says that when he's lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. I get a little bit worried on occasions that church, if we're not careful, I'm not speaking about this church, I'm talking about the church, becomes personality-driven, friends. We are never going to build church on the back of a personality. We're going to build it on the back of Jesus Christ being lifted up and drawing all men to himself. And so this was an amazing word of encouragement to the disciples. Guys, cheer up. He's going to be okay. I'm going to send one that stands alongside. You're not going to be left on your own. And of course, in Acts chapter 2, we hear the disciples and read of the disciples being filled with the Spirit. Peter says that this is that that was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. We've been in the last days, friends, ever since that statement was made. We may be in the last of the last days, but we've been in the last days of Jesus pouring out of his spirit on the earth. And Jesus, by his spirit, is going to do what he wants to do. The church has tried to marginalize it at times. People have pushed it to the edges. People have said, we're going to carry on with our own works. But God has broken into mankind in amazing ways. And one of the significant works of God in the earth today is what he is doing by the power of the Spirit. I close with a comment from a leader article that was in one of our national newspapers some time ago. Fascinatingly, it was a comment about the Holy Spirit. He says these words, not mine. The life-giving Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is the whirlwind of grace and the fire of love whose glory shines in life's marks by the fruit of the Spirit. And wherever old hatreds give way to the possibilities of peace, the God from whom all things take their origin is known as a transforming presence, a God nearer than breathing, whose grace is a resource of love to change the world. That's the Holy Spirit, friends. Melody Green, the wife of the late Keith Green, tragically killed in a air crash many years ago wrote that great song it's been a blessing to the church many times and the middle part of the song says thank you oh my father for giving us your son and leaving your spirit until the work on earth is done the work's not complete friends there's still people that need to hear there's still church to be built there's still fresh plants there's still nations to be taken there's still lots and lots to do and we're not doing it on our own but we're doing it by God's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit.
as he draws a response from us. Let's pray.